Okay, you guys, here we go. She Runs Ultras episode number 85. And in this episode, I want to talk to you about the gear that I used during the Tahoe 200. And I want to do this for two reasons. First, because I've gotten some very specific DMs and emails about it asking, what did you use for this thing or that thing? So I want to just run through the whole thing. But second, um, because I think it's helpful to hear what someone else used in a particular context. So you have a reference point or a starting point should you A, want to do Tahoe or B, just want to start to expand your knowledge about gear and what people use in certain scenarios. So I want to actually start by reading you the list of recommended gear, stuff that we had to wear or have on us at all times, because this is where I started when I was putting together my equipment list for this race. And the nice thing about Tahoe is that they do a really good job. They have this um, uh, racer's manual that is, let's see how many pages is it? I think it's like 32 pages full of information. So it really is a, you know, a a very direct guide on what to do and what not to do. Um, and with very specific recommendations. So this is the required mandatory gear that we had to wear at all times. And I'll just sort of read you the whole thing. So you get the idea of what we were prepping for. So due to extreme cold nights, extreme weather, and the remoteness of the run, we have mandatory gear. Athletes will be checked several times throughout the run for mandatory gear and will be disqualified or penalized if they are not carrying it. Keep in mind, temperatures have dropped as as low as 7 degrees Fahrenheit and 14 degrees Celsius. So it can get cold. Now, I read that And that feels okay to me because I'm from the Northeast where it routinely gets cold. Single digits, granted, is very cold, but I'm not unfamiliar with that. But I know that there are probably many people that heard that and were like, holy shit, that's cold. (laughs) So here's the recommended list of clothing. A jacket with a hood. Waterproof may be required based on weather conditions. Gloves. A hat. The hat could be replaced by a buff. You needed pants that had to cover your legs fully and an insulated long layer or long sleeve shirt. Okay, so pretty like standard, pretty simple required clothing. In terms of equipment, we had to have the spot tracker, which was included with our registration. Like we got that the morning of the race, they slapped it on our pack and it had to stay there the whole time. We needed a device with GPX track of the course. So that could be done with your watch or that could be done with your phone if you downloaded the Gaia app and had the maps on your phone, which is, I did both, but I ultimately ended up just using my phone to um, navigate the course. And you needed a cell phone, which basically everybody always had on them, Uh, a space blanket or emergency bivy, which I had, Um, headlamp or waist lamp, and extra batteries, and a whistle. So that's, you know, some pretty basic equipment, as well as we needed to carry 500 extra calories of food 
and they, it's kind of like, do not break glass and, um, unless in case of emergency, like we were not to consume these calories unless it was an emergency situation. So we always had to have, no matter what we had on us, we always had to have an extra stash of 500 calories. So for me, that was basically two go macro bars that were stashed inside the main compartment of my pack that, um, I broke into once I talked about it a little bit in the, um, the recap episode, um, for, for the whole race, but I broke into it once, but then I replenished it at the very next aid station. And it was really in case of emergency for me because I left the aid station without enough food. So that's why you bring extra calories. So on top of the required gear, there's a a list here of recommended gear to carry at all times. And I'll just read you the whole thing just so you can have this frame of reference. So runners often need this stuff. This is for your own safety and that of your fellow runners. Running in the remote backcountry doesn't leave you with many options in the case of poor weather, injury, or other potential problems. Temperatures change abruptly as the sun sets and as altitude increases. Weather fronts can develop quickly. I can personally attest to this. (laughs) There were many pop-up snowstorms and windstorms and just inclement weather that I experienced throughout the 96 hours of my Tahoe adventure. So, you know, even if you're reading this or hearing this and thinking, ah, that's just recommended gear. Once you hear what I actually took with me, and I'm I'm basically just going to give you the list of the stuff that I used. I'm not going to tell you everything that I brought because if you listen to the Tahoe recap episode, I had a whole duffel bag that was big enough for me to get into full of gear. Okay. So like I'm five foot five, I could have sort of curled up into a ball and gotten myself into this bag and it was packed to the gills with all the stuff that I brought. And that's because, you know, I, I didn't have a frame of reference other than what this list told me I might need or want. And so I sort of went above and beyond so that you know, I was going to Tahoe. I wasn't just going to be able to like scoot off to the store and grab what I needed. So I brought a lot of stuff. I used a good portion of it, but there were some things I didn't need. And I'll sort of talk about that in a second, but here's the recommended gear to carry at all times. So for clothing, it was gaiters, a hat with sun protective sides, a puffy jacket with a hood, And the side note here is that most years this run has temperatures under 20 degrees, which I don't know that we necessarily got that low, but it it got cold. Um, A neck gaiter for warmth and protection from the wind, cold, or sun. For equipment, uh, it was recommended that we have an extra headlamp or waist lamp, one set of extra batteries or more. For food and water, we needed to have extra calories, or they were recommending above and beyond those 500 extra calories that we carry more food, which sounds obvious, but as you will remember, I made the fatal mistake of leaving without enough food. So lesson learned at least three liters of water at all times, especially for the first 150 miles, which I had on me. Um, and I talked about this in the other episode, and I'm going to stop referencing the fact that I talked about a lot of this stuff in the other episode. I carried three liters of water. I went through almost two in the first 10 miles just because it was super dry. So keep that in mind. A water purification method, whether that's tablets, filter, filter bottle, or SteriPen. 
Um, they recommended that you carry identification and your medical stuff. So ID, a list of emergency contacts, allergies, medications, all that other stuff, uh, personal medications and a compact first aid and foot care kit. Supplies, they recommended sunscreen, toilet paper, wipes, Ziploc baggies for your poo wipes. All runners are required to carry out all paper and wipes. You may leave them at the aid stations. So you can sort of start to build up a picture here of what you might need or want in order to complete 200 miles. So I read through this and I started to look through my closet and dig through boxes to review what I already owned and what I would need to buy in order to fill the gaps. Much of this stuff I already had, but there were a few things that I did buy in order to either, like I said, fill the gaps or upgrade from my current equipment arsenal, so to speak, uh, just to be sure that what I was going to have and use would truly withstand 200 miles because, you know, you might have something in your, in your closet that you wear sporadically on a run, but you know, if you're going to plan to wear it for days on end and, or wash and wear it again and again and again, then you want to be sure that it's going to sort of withstand that wear and tear. So let's just run through what I used most consistently. And we'll sort of do like the hard equipment, like the stuff, the external stuff, um, And then we'll do like sort of the clothing and the other things. So as far as shoes, I wore my Ultra Olympus uh, fives. I brought three pairs of these and they were roughly all the same. They were basically, they're all the same model. They were just basically different colors and in various stages of use. One pair was like brand new. I probably wore them twice. Um, and just as a side note, these shoes run really nice straight out of the box. So I didn't need to sort of quote unquote, break them in, which if you listened to, oh gosh, I think it's maybe episode like 39, um, with my friend Ted, who is a shoe expert, you'll, you will remember that we talked about this whole concept of having to break in shoes is sort of old school thinking, um, Nowadays, you can pretty much wear shoes straight out of the box and they should fit really well straight out of the box. They shouldn't need any old breaking in period in order to do that. So I had one pair that was brand new. I actually didn't even use those. They were basically stashed in my drop bag for emergency purposes. And I had two pairs with moderate use under them. So I had probably, I would probably say the... My blue pair were newer than my salmon colored pair and, but they were probably within a couple months of each other. So they weren't heavily used. They were fairly new. Um, and I bought this third pair because the other pairs that I had in my equipment vault were much older. And, um, I thought about maybe bringing a really old pair in order to potentially cut up if I needed to, like you probably have heard stories of people's feet swelling to the point where they need to cut the sides out of their shoes to accommodate for swelling. And I was ready to let go of one of those pairs should that happen, but it didn't. Um, and I took some preventative measures to make sure that that didn't happen, but I was ready to let one of those pairs go in, uh, sacrifice them if necessary. So I brought three pairs. Side note, I did hear someone tell 
someone else, like one runner tell another runner while we were out on the course that he brought seven pairs of shoes (laughs) for that race. He basically had one pair in every drop bag every time we had the opportunity to have a drop bag. And that was a lot of times. So, you know, you do you, but I was able to get through basically just alternating between two pairs and I had a third as a backup. As far as a pack goes, I used the Solomon Advanced Skin 12, the so a 12 liter pack, and it was the women's specific version with the two 500 milliliter flasks that sit up front on your chest. They're not the long cylindrical ones. They're sort of the wider flat ones that actually fit nicely. They're women specific ones because when you already have a chest, you don't want to then put on top of it two cylindrical flasks that sort of stick out and they're not comfortable. They don't lie flat. So these flasks lie flat. They're very comfortable. And it was, um, I used these two as my sort of backup and, or at one point I used one of them and filled it with ginger ale because I really needed to have that on board as far as a bladder goes. So that pack doesn't come with a bladder included, but it has a slot to put a bladder in. So I bought the 1.5 liter Solomon branded bladder to go with the pack. Um, but what I actually ended up using was a two liter, uh, u bladder that I had from a previous pack from my previous ultimate direction pack. Um, And I use that the whole time. I will say that the pack that I use, the Solomon, it's much more conducive. It fits better if you use the one and a half liter, but I wanted to have the two liter. So it was sort of like, do you ever see that Chris Farley sketch? Like that guy in a little coat, like that (laughs) sort of how I felt trying to put the bladder into the pack along with all my other stuff, but there was ample room. And, you know, once I started to drink from it, like the sizing wasn't an issue. So just a side note. For my water purification, I used a Katahdin bottle. So, and it was a collapsible one liter bottle. So theoretically, if I had stopped somewhere and filled that up, I would have had four liters of water on me. I didn't end up using it, but it was definitely reassuring to have. Plus it's one of the highly recommended pieces of gear. Um, But I liked that bottle. Actually, Ben had that very same bottle and he used it and it worked really well. So it collapsed down. I basically put it into the main compartment of my pack, but it was obviously very accessible if I need it. Um, so I was really happy to have that. As far as poles go, I use the black diamond distance carbon Z and I'm a huge fan of these poles. They are on the, on the spectrum of poles. They are on the pricier side, but I have used them for years. I have banged them against every rock, root, stump, tree, everything. Um, and they still keep kicking. Like I, I can't kill these things despite how hard I try. And I carried them the entire time at Tahoe and they were amazing. So if you're in the market for some poles, I would highly recommend them. Um, check them out. You're going to have to do some sizing because they, they, they're not 
adjustable. They collapse. So oftentimes if I didn't need them, I could just fold them up and stick them in my pack or attach them to my pack. So I had my hands free, which is very nice, but they don't adjust. You have to get the size that is appropriate to you. And there's all sorts of instructions on how to do that on their website. With regard to lights, I had my backup light in my pack, the one that I was required to have as a backup, was just a regular old Petzl battery-powered one, and I had two sets of batteries in there just in case, so I never needed it, I never touched it, but it was nice to know that it was there, and quite honestly, it didn't add that much weight to my pack overall, So it wasn't a huge burden to have to carry that in addition to all the other stuff. My main two sources of light that I used at night were my Petzl rechargeable headlamp with sort of had the auto dimming function. So depending on, you know, the oncoming light, it would adjust itself. And then I used my Kogala waist light. And I'm I'm a big fan of having two sources of light because When you start to run long distances, especially at night, you get tunnel vision if you're just using your headlamp because your field of view is reduced to whatever the light touches. And if you're swinging your head around and you have to look at other things, sometimes it can give you a little bit of dizziness because again, you're, you're not able to use your full field of view like you are in the daytime where you can see the peripheral and everything in between. So I like having the Kogala waist light because it sort of lights what's on the lower side. Great for rocks and roots and tree stumps and things that you might trip over at night. And as well as it just sort of keeps the light going forwards, even if you should turn your head to the side, the adjustment period of your eyes going from light to dark to light to dark is reduced because there's always some light happening. I think I'm adequately explaining that. But if I'm not, take your headlamp out for a run at night and test it out. Like look in the dark, look, you know, follow your headlamp, so on and so forth. So this is my case for having two sources of two different sources of light at the same time. Um, so my, my Petzl on the lowest setting would last all night, but if I were to ramp it up a couple notches, it wouldn't have lasted all night. My Kogala, um, has a huge battery capacity and I put it on, a fairly low setting. It didn't need to be full bright, but on the lowest setting, I mean, that will last for, I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but for a long time, like Adam would take it back to the condo after I used it and go to plug it in. And it would basically be still showing a full charge. All the lights on the front of it would charge, would, would light up again. So you know, I probably could have used it the entire time at Tahoe and never needed to recharge it. Um, and so that's one of the benefits of having two sources of light rechargeable with big capacities. And then the way that I actually wore that light, the Kogala, was this um, Solomon waistband. I don't have the name of it in front of me, but it's basically... Um, it's sort of like a belly band, but it's the Solomon brand one. And it's got a couple pockets in it. One of them is a zip. One of them is just a a flap that you can slide stuff into like your keys or your phone or whatever. And so this is how I used, I used that pack, that little waist pack to be able to slide the magnet that holds the Kogala into the pack. So, and then I just ran the cord to the back of the pack 
a few times I ran the cord into my actual Solomon pack that on my back, but then we figured out a better way to do it where I ran the cord just around my back to the battery that was also inside the waistband. So that was really nice because then I didn't have to worry about, you know, if I had to take my pack off, I didn't have to extricate myself from the cord and the battery from the Kogala. So, you know, some people choose to do it a little differently. Some people want to attach it to their pack, but the way that this pack, the Solomon pack works is that it's got this bungee system that crisscrosses the chest. So it's a little harder to set yourself up with the Kogala on that setup. So I had to come up with another way to wear that light. And that's what I did. So you'll probably see a bunch of different recommendations, a bunch of different styles. If you are going to use a Kogala, I would suggest that you practice with it a lot and figure out a system that's comfortable, that you can um, get in and out of very easily, that you can go to the bathroom easily in because, you know, the last thing you want to do is drop your battery while you're trying to go to the bathroom. It's like, it's a big thing. So just keep that in mind. Let's move on to clothing. And like I said, I brought a lot of stuff, but what I'm going to run you through right now is basically what I wore on a consistent basis throughout the four or five days that I was out there. So as far as socks go, I am a huge fan of smart wool socks, not the no-show version, but like the shorter version, the, the low rise. And I probably brought at least a dozen pairs of these things. Again, in various stages of wear, I probably bought three real new ones. And then I had six pairs that were fairly recent. And then I had three pairs that were sort of like a last resort type of thing. Cause I had no idea how many I would go through. Plus I needed to stash them in my drop bag. I wanted to be wearing a pair. I wanted Adam and Frank to have some, I needed some in my pack. Um, so I needed, you know, a lot of socks and it, I would always recommend bringing a lot of socks. You will never be upset that you bought and brought a lot of socks because you will need them. Um, and then I used trail toes for my foot lubrication and I'm a big fan of trail toes, have been using it for a while. So I had a little container on me. Plus I know Frank had some on him when he was pacing me. Plus, uh, Adam had it as part of my gear bag. Every time I stopped to see him at an aid station, um, I, I re upped my feet. So I'm a big fan of that. There was a lot of dirt, rocks, silt, debris things on the course. And so I opted to wear gaiters the whole time. So I definitely would recommend it. And I wore uh, the brand Dirty Girl gaiters. I have a couple other pairs, but I like the way they fit the most. And the nice part about Ultras is that they have a piece of Velcro built into the shoe. So the back of your gaiter attaches directly to your shoe. You don't have to do the strap underneath the shoe. You can just stick it right on, which is great. So that was sort of my foot setup. Uh, for shirts, I actually like these shirts. I'm, I'm literally wearing one right now from Target, from this brand called All In Motion. And they're just like a really simple tech fabric short sleeve shirt. They fit me really well. The seams are nice because they don't have seams on the top of your shoulders. They have seams sort of I'm like actually looking down um, on the shirt to try to describe this to you. There's sort of these seams along your armpits, which 
might sound like it would chafe you, but it actually works for me because again, if my pack was going to sit on my shoulders, I didn't want more seams on top. So these shirt, they're, shirts, they're called All in Motion and they're just these short sleeve tech fabric Um, and I really like them. They're not super heavyweight, but they're also not super light. They're sort of in the middle. I'm a big fan. They're also relatively inexpensive. I bought a bunch of them, uh, leading up to Tahoe. I had, I'd had a couple, uh, that I bought for, you know, just general working out purposes. And then the more I started to think about my gear list for Tahoe, I was like, "Mm, you know, I have all of these other shirts, but they're not ones that I would want to wear for, you know, a couple days. (laughs) So really take a hard look. Even if you think something feels good now, you have to sort of run it through the 100 or 200 mile test. Like, would you want to wear it for a couple days under a pack in the heat and the dirt and all the things? So I also used a few long sleeve tech shirts for layering. You know, one of the required pieces of gear was that I had, had a long sleeve layer, insulating layer. And for this, I mostly used just a Nike half zip technical long sleeve shirt, not too heavy, not too light. And that lived in my pack full time. So if ever I needed an extra layer on top, I could just throw that over whatever I was wearing. Um, But one of my tried and true favorites is this long sleeve, again, Nike half zip shirt that I've probably had for like 10 years. It is black and it is thermal, but it's not super heavy. It's like the most amazing weight. And I wish that I could find another one that was exactly like this because it's perfect, especially if it's on like a little bit of the cooler side, but you don't want to throw on a bunch of layers and then sweat through all those layers. It would, this is, I'm, I'm in love with this shirt and I'm so sad that I can't find another one. But basically I could wear this shirt and at night when it was cool and it would, I could sweat, like I could run in it and sweat and the sweat would evaporate, but it was also keeping me really warm. Even if there was a light breeze, I mean, I'm a huge fan of this shirt. I wish that I could tell you what the name of it was, but like I said, I, I probably bought it 10 years ago. I have no idea how or why it has lasted this long, but it has. And that's what I used a lot at night for my long sleeve insulating layer Um, in addition to having another long sleeve insulating layer just in my shirt, should I need it. And when I was wearing that black Nike one, I had a very thin long sleeve, another Nike one that again, I bought so long ago, but it was so thin that I could put it on underneath the thermal half zip. So there was like some method to the madness in terms of the layering that we did at daytime and nighttime. Moving on, let's talk about bottoms. You know, the weather was warm, but it wasn't hot. So the first couple of days, it hovered, you know, in the 50s and 60s. It was full sun, but there was also a cool breeze and we were going up in altitude. So I had contemplated wearing shorts, like compression shorts, which is sort of my go-to. But then I decided after talking to Frank a little bit about his experience running the first 10 miles that I would go with capris. So like not full length pants, but sort of like three quarter length capris. And they're just like super cheapo ones, you guys from Old Navy. Again, I like managed to catch a sale a couple months before Tahoe. And I just grabbed like three or four pairs of these things. And I basically wore them all day every single day at Tahoe. At night, I switched to these long 
lightly thermal Pearl Izumi zip bottom pants. So they sort of taper. And the nice part was that Adam was actually able to take these pants from me a couple times and wash them so that I didn't have to wear like stinky pants every single night. But if I had to do it again, I would definitely have bought another pair of these and just traded back and forth um, because it was sort of, not that I, they were excessively dirty, but they did get really sandy, you know, just from shuffling around in the the dirt and the silt, they just became, you know, really sandy and and dirty, not like sweaty dirt. I'm like, this is way too much explanation about the dirt on my pants, but you guys get the point. Like, you know, you want to sort of think about trading layers so that you're not spending a ton of time in stuff that has dirt embedded into it, because eventually that will get down to your skin and it will start to chafe. And that's what you don't, want. You want to avoid that. The pair of pants that I had in my pack that were my full time, remember I had to have a pair of long pants that on me at all times, should I need them for inclement weather. And those were these really amazing Arteryx pants that had a wind shield built into them. And so I actually, on on the back of that Solomon pack, there's a pass-through sort of like a, they call it a kangaroo pouch on the back bottom of that pack. And so I just rolled those pants the long way and threaded them through that kangaroo pouch and they lived there the whole time. I think maybe once I took them out and traded them for a different pair of pants, but those, those were great pants. Um, and I, I used, I, I actually never used them, but I was happy to know that they were there especially during the daytime, because I could, would be able to easily slip them on over the capris that I had on. The only other time I used a different pair of pants was Spooner Summit to Heavenly. I wore those Pearl Azumi pants, and then I think I put these Nike Rain pants over them. And this is like a whole other layering discussion that you're probably like, I'm tired of hearing... <laughs> about how you took off certain layers and put them back on, but I couldn't get the Arteryx pants over the Pearl Izumi ones. So I brought these other Nike wind pants. And when the wind was whipping up and there was thought of maybe it would snow or rain, I put these wind pants on, but they're sort of like old school nylon swishy pants. So at one point, Frank and I were going up Spooner Summit and all he could hear was the you know, of like your nylon pants rubbing up against one another. So eventually I had to take those off because it was sort of driving me crazy. Plus I was overheating and I didn't need them anymore. So do with that what you will. (laughs) It's just like a dissertation on pants. (laughs) Um, A discussion about clothes wouldn't be completed uh, if we didn't talk about, especially for ladies, sports bras. And I have struggled with sports bras for a while, mostly because I get chafed on the the lower band that goes around your chest on the bottom. And again, I found these all in motion brand, the same ones that I got the shirts from Target, and they have a medium amount of support and compression and they're super soft. So they were really comfortable and I had no chafing issues with them. The caveat is they're really definitely not for high impact but for my frame and chest size and the like level of activity, they were perfect. I probably bought three of these and I alternated between them. You can check them out for yourself. Um, they had very little structure and I actually, they had those, those dreaded padded inserts. I took those things out, promptly threw them away. They're super comfortable. I'm wearing one now. 
<laughs> I wear them a lot. They're very, very comfortable. Sun protection was a big one for me. Um, I mentioned before, I don't really do well in the heat. So one of my main objectives was protect myself as much as possible, A, from getting sunburn, B, from getting overheated. So, you know, the whole process of running hundred miles or 200 miles is self-care, self-preservation. And so I really brought a lot of stuff that was going to help me do that. I got this hat off of Amazon, just this random New Balance hat. I shared it on my Instagram stories. A lot of you guys actually voted that you didn't like this hat and I was surprised, but I bought it. I didn't listen to you guys. <laughs> I bought it anyway and then promptly broke the clasp at the back of it within the first five miles. <laughs> Luckily, I had a couple safety pins and I just fixed it with a safety pin and I wore it the rest of the race, no problem. And actually to this day, it's behind me on my rack. It's still broken and I'm still using the safety pin to hold it together and wear it and it works great. It was lightweight. It um, was had really good ventilation in the back, even though the front was orange and the back was black, it had really good ventilation. So I never was overheating because the hat was black. That just like wasn't a thing. I wore sun sleeves. Just those really cheap, again, I got them off Amazon. They were probably like $9 for a pair of two. They're not going to last you forever, but they worked really well. I alternated between two pairs. And not only did they keep me protected from the sun, but they were also instrumental in sort of helping me stay at the right body temperature. Because, you know, like there's sun, but then there's also wind. And so there was like a fine line between, well, how many, how few layers can I wear because it's warm in the sun, but then what do I need to then put back on because it's windy? You know, it's like I told you, it's a game in how to dress yourself appropriately. So I wore those a lot and I wore them typically with a short sleeve shirt that I mentioned before. And then I would have this, I'm sort of skipping ahead, but it's, it goes in the same train. I had this marmot. Hmm, it's a windbreaker. Again, it's sort of like it's not swishy like the nylon pants, but it's sort of swishy in that sense. It's very light, but I wore that a lot. And the windbreaker with the sun sleeves with the short sleeve shirt for me was like a really great combination to the point where that became exactly what I wore every single day. Adam and Frank knew to just put that in front of me and I would put it on and it like was the right layers in the right pieces that I could take off and put on accordingly to manage my temperature so that I didn't get super sweaty. And then if the temperature went down that I was super sweaty and then I got cold and hypothermic. So I also had this cool sun cape again, found it on Amazon, super cheap. And it's just this drape of fabric with a stretchy band from one corner to the other that you put over your hat and it protects the back of your neck. You guys, this thing was clutch because there were certain sections of the course where it was open and exposed and the back of my neck was up towards the sun. And had I not had this thing, I most certainly would have had a gnarly sunburn on the back of my neck. And if I ever got too hot, I could just flip the thing up and just rest it on my hat. I looked ridiculous. I didn't care. And then I could get a breeze on the back of my neck and cool myself off. Probably... $17 maybe if I'm remembering off the top of my head best best thing I bought we'll definitely use it again probably on some long runs here in the summer when it gets hot so I would highly recommend that I mean you can most certainly use a buff but the nice part about this was that it sort of wrapped around and it protected my ears as well which 
could definitely get you into trouble if you burned your ears um, and be just like really, really uncomfortable. And then the last thing I bought for sun protection, but also to do double duty were these sun gloves. They were really simple REI brand. And I got them, like I said, to protect the backs of my hands from the sun, but also to keep my hands from getting chafed and getting blisters because I had planned to use my poles 24 seven, which I did. So my friend, Tony, who I mentioned in a previous episode, like he had run Tahoe a couple years ago and mentioned how he used some buffs looped around his hands to sort of protect the crux of his thumb and first finger, because obviously that's your main contact point. That's where you're going to get the most chafing and blisters, or at least be the most susceptible. And so I just found these super cheap gloves. Again, they were probably less than 20 bucks and they worked great. They were so dirty. They were white um, white and like army green camo ish, but predominantly white. And by the time we were done, they were very dirty, (laughs) but the palm had this like faux suede on it, which was nice because it helped to give just a little bit of extra padding on my hands for the pole. So that was kind of my sun protection package, so to speak. Okay. Let's talk about my rain jacket, jacket with a hood. You'll remember I was required to have a jacket with a hood on it. And so what I did was I bought this, like I had a raincoat, but it was going to be far too big. So I invested and got this really nice Patagonia raincoat that they came out with not too long ago that is specifically for running. It has this really cool zipper system. I think it's called the Storm Racer Jacket. You can look it up. It's got this cool zipper system. So instead of having one zipper straight down the middle, it's got two that sort of follow the line of your shoulder. One goes all the way down so you can get into it. One only goes partway down. The theory is that you could put your pack under this jacket to keep it dry and then just use the zipper to sort of reach in and get what you need. My pack was going to be too big to fit under this coat if I was wearing it with fewer items you know, on a shorter run, I would most certainly put it under, but for this, um, I would have had to have ordered a much bigger size and it just didn't make sense in the long run. So I bought the size that fit me the best and just, um, I stuffed it into its own stuff sack and then put that into a smaller stuff sack in my bag to sort of keep it. And I had that on me full time, pulled it out a couple times when the wind was whipping up. So it, was specifically a rain jacket, but it was also a really great wind barrier, had the hood that I was happy to have um, when we went through a couple of those storms to help keep in the heat from my head, um, along with my winter hat, which I'll get to in a second. But so that was, that was nice. That served me as my full-time jacket with a hood also for rain, should I have needed it. And as far as a thermal layer goes, this wasn't So this piece sort of bridged a couple different gaps, but it didn't meet the jacket with a hood requirement, but it sort of met my thermal layer requirement. So I have a Patagonia Nano Air full zip, no hood, and I love this jacket. I read a bunch of reviews about it on somewhere else, maybe in another like Facebook group or I don't know, but there were other people that were raving about it. And I was like, okay, it's a little bit of an investment, but it is well worth it. I wear this thing all the time. Like you can wear it with a t-shirt underneath 
and be warm. So again, that's what I did. It was super warm. It helped keep the wind out because it's sort of got this puffy insulation, but it's not a puffy jacket in the traditional sense. And I wore it a lot at night or early in the morning when it was on the cooler side. And if you were moving, you could stay warm, but it helped me stay warm without overheating and sweating. It also ventilates really well. So that's a nice component versus a straight up puffy jacket because I actually did bring my Patagonia Nano. This I know this probably sounds like a Patagonia ad, but they just make really great stuff, you guys. Um, and it's worth the investment because it does last a really long time. So I had actually brought my Patagonia Nano puffy jacket in the traditional puffy sense. It's not a down jacket, but it's the microfiber Nano puffy. And, um, that when I wear it, it keeps me very warm. Like I will wear that in my winter running, but it doesn't release moisture well. So if you sweat in that, you better be prepared to sweat in it until you get home and you're in a place to take it off because you're going to be wet and you're going to get hypothermic if you take it off. So I brought that. I didn't wear it while I was running, but it came in really handy at the aid stations in order to keep me warm, like when I was transitioning or when, you know, I was staying there overnight and I needed an extra warm layer. And then I had, you know, all the other sort of little stuff. I had a lot of buffs, um, so neck gaiters. I always had one on me. I think I had always had an extra one in my pack. They were just really helpful for sweat and dirt and snots, (laughs) all the fun stuff. Um, And then we also were required to have a hat and gloves. And I just have a couple turtle fur branded hats that I use during the winter. One is a little bit heavier than the other. And I brought these with me. I also had very thin sort of skull cap type of hats that I wore a couple times when you know, it, you needed something on your head, but you obviously didn't need a quote unquote winter hat. So I made use of that. And I don't even know that thing is so old. I really don't even know what brand it is, but you get the point. It's like a skull cap, the inner liner, maybe even of a heavier hat. So for gloves at night, I typically ended up wearing, I took my son gloves off mostly because I was probably giving them to Adam so he could at least run them under some water to get the dirt out of them. I wore the liners to my old Burton snowboarding gloves. Uh, They were very thin and they're kind of ratty, but they were just enough warmth that if I was moving, it kept my hands warm. But when it got really cold, I had these really cool black diamond puffy mittens called the stance mittens, and they pack down into their own stuff sacks, which is really convenient because I could just carabiner them onto my pack and they are super warm. So if I ever hit a really cold patch, like I think it was like at the top of Spooner Summit, I may have put those on because the temperature was dropping, the wind was whipping, the snow was happening, happening, and I use them for probably that little bit of time, maybe 30 minutes, but it was necessary because any of the other gloves I had just weren't going to cut it. Like they weren't warm enough. So, and I had another pair of more sort of traditional running gloves that you see sort of in the running store with, um, you know, they're light fleece, stretchy material, and they're warm, but they're not windproof or 
wind friendly. So that's where those black diamond puffy gloves came into play and they were, they were super clutch. So, you know, I sort of traded between a few of those things, always had to have a hat on me, always had to have gloves. So sometimes it was those thin Burton liners, sometimes, especially um, at night, I always had not only those thin gloves, but I also had those um, black diamond puffy mittens as well. So, whew, okay. I think that's everything. That's a rough outline of all the stuff that I used predominantly. I'm sure I'm forgetting something. You'll probably hear an addendum to this at some point, maybe even in a future episode, I'll sift back through my notes and remember, oh, right, I used that other thing. But I think this will give you a good framework of what to start with if you're considering not only Tahoe, but another long distance run with variable weather and terrain. You know, one of the most important things, just like we talked about before, is taking care of yourself. Like, yes, you have to cover all of these miles, but if you don't have the appropriate layers and the appropriate clothing, um, it's going to be harder. And some of the stuff that I mentioned today is on the pricier side, but that doesn't mean that you should rush out and go get all that stuff. But I think you should evaluate what you have already and see if what you have is going to work both in its quality and its performance, but also for its size and its function. Because, you know, it may be worth, like I'll talk about uh, like the raincoat example, like the, the coat that I had was bigger and bulkier, and I would have been able to put it on over my pack, but it also wasn't breathable. It was fully seam sealed, Gore-Tex not breathable. And this Patagonia one, while it does trap some moisture, it does also exchange some moisture. Again, I didn't I didn't end up needing it, but it was really nice to have. And that's a piece that I'm going to have for a long time. So it was an investment, but it's going to the the ROI on it is going to be really high. And I used it a lot in my training leading up to Tahoe, and I loved it every single time I wore it. So it it was well worth it. So just, you know, sort of keep that in mind. Again, don't I'm not trying to tell you to go out and blow your budget on running gear because this this sport can sort of be a black hole. But I think you can make some strategic decisions about what to buy and what not to buy, what to invest in and what to spend um, less money on, you know, like those sun sleeves and, you know, simple things that don't need, you don't need to spend a ton of money on those things. They will, you'll get just as good of results for some, from something that is less expensive in certain cases than the most expensive thing. Um, And so you can start to just see and test things out and you might test the cheaper option and you might like it. And then you might actually find, "Mm, I think I really want to spend my money here um, on this key piece of equipment that I'm going to use over and over and over and over and over again. So just sort of keep that in mind. Next week, I'm going to give you guys an update on what's next for me coming off the back of Tahoe. Lots of you guys asked, you know, you ran 200 miles. What's next? Like, what's the next big scary goal going to be? So next week's episode will be dedicated to sort of what my plans are, what I'm going to be focusing on, and what that means for you guys. So stay tuned for that. And don't forget, if you have a race coming up, whether that's your first 50K or whether it's your first 50 miler or maybe even your first 100 miler and you're sort of winging it, 
like training without a plan, you can go to my website and get my free 10-week training plan that will sort of jumpstart your training. It's it's intended for your first 50K, but if you're struggling to get started, if you don't know how to integrate strength and mobility, if you're like, if you just need structure and a schedule and something to look at and follow, this will help you to do all of those things and you can just follow along, okay? So you can go to megan-gould.com forward slash the number 10 week plan all one word and that's where you will be able to download it so go check that out all right you guys enjoy this beat and i'll see you all soon